When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Sports Day for Kia. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometers of range. And for McDonald's. Crispy, crunchy golden onion rings are back at Macca's. And they come with tangy barbecue sauce. This is Sports Day. Yes, it is Sports Day. Thanks to Kia and also Maccas. Adam White and also Daniel Menzel with you on this Wednesday night. It is day two of the Boxing Day test. And as was the case last night, there is plenty of cricket on the menu when we look at the show for tonight. Jared Waitley will join us shortly from the MCG with play just about finished for day two. We'll go through the scores shortly. Josh Inglis, the star for the Scorchers last night as they... Keep this uh, amazing run going, particularly over in Perth. They beat the Renegades. And also later on in the show, Hilton Cartwright will join us, who was the star for the Stars as the Melbourne Stars had their first victory of the season when they defeated the Sixers in a controversial game. So plenty to get through. And two people that are absolutely uh, shaping the BBL at the moment, Hilton Cartwright and also Josh Inglis. So two big names on the show tonight, the third big name is Daniel Menzel. G'day, Dan. How are you? G'day, Whitey. I'm going well. It's a jam-packed show, as you mentioned. A, a massive win for the Stars last night to kickstart their season. And looking forward to chatting to Hilton about that. And the Scorchers just continue to get it done. Uh, but, hey, we'll start with the cricket. And I was worried about an hour and a half ago when uh, Pakistan yes. were one for 124 off 35 overs and just going along nicely. It looked a little bit concerning, but things have changed. Yeah, absolutely. It did look concerning because not only were they one for 124, two set batsmen who were batting quite quickly. And it just looked for a moment where you started to think Pakistan might have a lead here at some point in this (laughs) match. And almost as you thought it, I know the commentary team thought it, listening to, to SEN Test Cricket, it all just crumbled. And at one point from that one for 124, they lost four for 27 to go from one for one two four to five for one fifty one, and as it currently stands, it is Pakistan six for one hundred ninety four. We think this might be the last ball of the day. Mitchell Stark bowling to uh, Amir Jamal. It has still been a reasonable day for Pakistan because they fought back with the ball. They got Australia out by lunch uh, earlier today, Dan, and and I don't think they've bowled particularly well outside Pat Cummins. Um, and yeah, it's it's. Interestingly placed, Australia's still on top, but I'm not, but but not in a dominant position. No, they're not in a dominant position, but it just shows the class that we have with Australia, and in particular with Pat Cummins. Once again, he gets the job done when we need a breakthrough. 
But as you mentioned, seven wickets for 130 Australia lost today. So the day has been Pakistan's by far until the last half of the last session has really hurt them and really cost them. And they'll be very bitterly disappointed because they dominated this day when they took seven wickets, as I mentioned, 130 Australia put on today. And then there were 124 for one. So the last half of last session, we just good teams as they do, they get themselves back in it. And Australia are all of a sudden in the driver's seat again. Yes, so that is a stump score. So just confirming Pakistan, six for 194. So they've gone through 55 overs today after Australia uh, was dismissed for 318 at lunch. So the deficit is currently at 124. So just going through the the batting card for Australia with the dismissals from today, uh, we had Travis Head, the first man out for 17. Manus Labashain made 63. Uh, Alex Carey made four, Mitchell Marsh made 41, Mitchell Stark nine, Pat Cummins 13, Nathan Lyon eight, Josh Hazelwood was five, not out. So 318 all out. The wickets were shared. Amir Jamal got three for 64. So that's in his second test after getting six uh, in the, in the I think it was the first innings uh, over in Perth. So he continues on his, uh, his happy ways. But uh, really the, the wickets were shared. And then coming out to... Batter first time, Pakistan. If we can find where they've actually batted. Here we go. Uh, the first man out was Imam Al-Haki. was caught Labashain, bold line for 10. Uh, then it was Abdullah Shafiq, caught and bold Pat Cummins, a brilliant return catch for 62. Shah Massoud, the captain, uh, was caught Marsh, bold line for 54. Baba Azam, bold Cummins for one. Saw Shaquille, uh, first time in test cricket he's been dismissed under the, under the score of 22. He was bold Hazelwood for nine. And then uh, Salman was out for five. So importantly for Pakistan, Mohamed Rizwan's still there. He's 29 not out and Amir Jamal is on two. Pat Cummins, three for 37. Lyon, two for 48. And Hazelwood, one for 29. They are the wicket takers. So, yes, it's uh, it, it's an interesting one. Um, 124, the deficit. Even if they can get it to sort of 50 to 70, they'd have to think that they're in with a chance because I, I think the bat, the wicket will only get easier to bat on the more we go, and we're only at the end of day two. Yeah, it looks that way. What they have to do is they have to bounce back now tomorrow because they will be bitterly disappointed with how they finished the day, and yet they probably took the chocolates on the day. They Australia scored 130 runs for the loss of seven wickets, uh, and then Pakistan are imply 194 for six. They dominated majority of the day. So they'll go into the sheds. Australia will be far the happier side. So how do they bounce back tomorrow and make this a game? Because it looks like it, it could be done inside four days. Nathan Lyon, we've got a very good spin option, whereas Pakistan, they, don't, they haven't picked a first-choice spinner. So... Will that impact things? The other one that I want to ask Jared Waitley about when we have a chat with him shortly is the delivery to Babar Azam was the first wicket in this test match that was either bold or LBW. Yes. Every other wicket was caught up until that point in the match. So the, the pitch is obviously played a little bit differently and the bounce probably on the wicket has been a bit of a surprise. Yeah, look, I talked about this yesterday. The, the pitch is very different to what we've seen from Sheffield Shield cricket wickets over the last couple of years. There's definitely not as much grass on it, definitely not as much green grass on it as we've seen in the Sheffield Shield where it's been not impossible to, to bat on at times. But I think it's been a good cricket wicket. I, I think it's been a little inconsistent. Some have, have uh, bounced twice before they've got through to the keeper and then another one pitched in a very similar position, sort of head high through to the keeper. So I think it's it's still difficult to bat on, but I don't think it's impossible. And I, 
I just get the suspicion will only get easier as we, as we go along in this match. Outside of Nathan Lyon, as you said, we don't um, have to worry about a spinner in a third innings. Um, Salman bowls off his, but, you know, you and I could bowl as well as he could. <laughs> um, whereas Nathan Lyon is someone that obviously can spin Australia to victory in a fourth innings. He's done it so many times before. And from looking at those MCG pitches in the past, even in the Shield cricket where there has been a lot of extra grass on it, it's still spun, but it's also bounced, which is exactly what Nathan Lyon wants. So I think he's still going to hold the key unless Pakistan can have an unbelievable performance with the ball in the second innings. I'm just not sure they're quite good enough. Yeah, I'm not sure they'll, they'll be quite good enough either. I think they need to they need to be leading, to be honest, if they are going to be any hope in this test. I don't think that we're going to see them outscore us in the second innings, um, which with six down, it looks like a tough task. They still trail by 124 runs. But, yeah, we mentioned that the Pat Cummings dismissal of Barbara's arm, the Shaquille where Josh Hazelwood bowled him, the ball moved a lot more than it had previously when uh, Pakistan was flying at one for 124. So the pitch certainly does look, as you mentioned, inconsistent so far through the two first two days. And it also shows, now Pakistan aren't an experienced team, that if you are going to compete with Australia, you can't just have a good couple of sessions. You've got to have you've got to sort of string together good days. And what you can't have also is have lapses, yep. which is as good as today was for Pakistan. And I agree with you. They took the chocolates on today, I think. Maybe just, but I think they did have the better day. By losing that four for 27 and top order wickets in that four for 27, you just take that 45 minutes away and all of a sudden it's a very different game as they go back to their hotels tonight. It's, it's, it's level pegging. But they had it yesterday. They bowled poorly when they had the opportunity to get into the Australia's, into Australia's top order with, uh, with by winning the toss and bowling and and having a ball that was swinging around and doing all sorts of things. They couldn't capitalise on that, and then they come out and have that brain fade forty five minutes and find themselves behind the game. And that's what happens with good sides. You can't give them an opportunity and. Australia has taken that opportunity. I mean, it's not dissimilar to the Perth Scorchers at the moment, and we're going to chat with Josh Inglis later in the show. The Renegades were all over them last night. They dominated mm. the game, and then all of a sudden, small lapses, good sides, they rock up, and, and they can take the game away from you, and they did that. And Australia looks like they have potentially done that to Pakistan in all over an hour and a half in this test match. So Jared Waitley will join us shortly, and we'll... Have a chat to Jared about his observations on day two, someone that was uh, there all day watching it all unfold. I know you love all sports. So cricket on the television yesterday was the test match from the MCG, then back-to-back Big Bash matches. And then if you really like your cricket, you had uh, India and South Africa going along as well. How much cricket, and you had to do the show with, with me yesterday as well, how much cricket did you consume it's a good question. I, I caught a fair bit of the test match. Uh, I was in and out of the big bash last night. But then I did I did turn on uh, India and South Africa. And right. isn't that just evenly poised as well? Yeah. India, 8 for 208 at stumps. It was only 59 overs bold. But it looks like a pretty green wicket in South Africa at Supersport Park. So that is a that's a line ball game that will be be great to watch as well. So there's obviously big bash on again tonight. There's the test. And you've got... India and South Africa later tonight. I'll, I'll consume a little bit until my fiance says, hey, that's enough now, <laughs> enough cricket for the day. I, I actually fell asleep on the couch last night, probably halfway through the Renegades batting innings, maybe a bit further than halfway. Uh, I was the first to fall asleep of my kids. 
and woke up, said, oh, what was going on here? And the game had finished. Yep. When I went to sleep, I thought the Renegades were home and somehow found a way to lose. Um, the, the, oh, gee, they frustrate me, the Renegades. I think they've got a pretty good team. I don't think they should be in a situation where they are, where they're yet to win a game. I know Perth are really hard to beat at home, but from that position, that was a horrendous result for the Renegades. Oh, it's a really bad result for the Renegades. And I agree with you. When the tournament, the Big Bash tournament started, I think there's a little bit of hype around what the Renegades have done in terms of who they've brought in. We know that Quinton de Kock is opening for them. Joe Clark at the top of the order. But you've got Sean Marsh. You've got Nick Madison. Finch didn't play last night. But there's a pretty nice batting lineup. And then they brought Adam Zampa across from the Stars. They've got Majib. I certainly, I don't think many people would have expected the Renegades after five games in this competition are without a win. Yes, it's a it's a real issue for the Renegades. I I think they have got a good team. I think they they are slightly unbalanced in the sense that they've got a lot of players that like to bat at the top of the order. I don't think they've necessarily got a lot of specialist middle order players. And I think yep. in in T20 cricket, those players cannot be underestimated. And you either have the player like a Tim David that can come in from ball one and hit sixes, coming in at five or six, or someone like a Jordan Silk who plays it very differently um, yep. but can find the boundary when he needs to. John O'Wells is sort of that player for the Renegades, um, but he hasn't – I mean, he obviously didn't do, do the job for them last night. But I just feel when you look at – You've got in that team, you mentioned Shaw Marsh, who played his first game of the tournament last night. But you've got um, guys like uh, Nick Fraser Madison, McGurk. Fraser McGurk, Aaron Finch. Finch. Yep. Uh, they all want to open, or that's yep. where their best position is, but they find themselves playing out of position just to fit into the team. And then Will Sutherland doesn't get an opportunity at, say, a four or a five, which I think he probably should play because they've got all these other players that they've got to, they've got to get him before he gets a chance to have a bat. Oh, it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, John O'Wells coming in at six is too low for him as well. He comes in and he needs to hit it from first ball, which is not the way he goes about his innings. When he had such success over here for the strikers, the Adelaide strikers, he was batting at four and at five at lowest. And if they lost a few wickets, he would just come in and navigate the innings and allow some at the other end to tee off effectively. So you're right. They're in a world of pain at the moment with five games down already and no wins. I mean, fourth spot is only on one win and, and no result in the strikers. So they're not out of touch of the finals, but it does make it difficult from here for the Renegades. And then you've got the Stars, who I feel like they've got their batting order upside down. I, I think <laughs> they've got to get Stoinis in there earlier. They've got to get Cartwright in there earlier. Um, their best players seem to be batting four, five, six. I think they've got to be three, four, five at the, at the absolute least. But I'd have Stoinis opening the batting, and I'd have Cartwright probably three and Maxwell four, and the rest of it can work it out after that. Uh, I agree. That, and my question for you here is where would you – you said Maxwell at four – Maxwell at four and Stoinis at five, you're right, it's too low. One of them needs to be opening the batting, in my opinion, or, or either coming in at three because it, it does, it, it changes the game. Rogers and Harper hasn't quite worked at the top of the order. Webster's actually been making some runs and has been very good for them. But, yeah, if Cartwright didn't do what he did last night, then the Stars would have been languishing on the bottom as well from four games without a win. Okay, uh, we are now welcoming our audience that have just uh, left the MCG our national audience on SEN around the country. Uh, this is Sports Day with Adam White and Daniel Menzel. 
And uh, on our program a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by Josh Inglis in about 15 minutes from now after the Scorchers had that big win over the Renegades. And then Hilton Cartwright will join us uh, in about 45 minutes from now after the Stars had their first win of the summer when they defeated the Sixers at the SCG. And then at 7 o'clock, there's more Big Bash action with uh, the Heat at home, the undefeated Heat taking on the Thunder. But to get uh, his insights on what happened at the MCG today, Jared Waitley joins us. Jared, good evening. What, Jared? Great to be with you. What did you think? It was an interesting day of cricket that sort of went from one way to the other and then back again, maybe. It was a rollicking good day. As yesterday was a bit of old school cricket. It was it was slow for good reason, uh, but today, right from the outset, it was uh, it was fast moving. That the seven wickets that Pakistan took in the first session was testament to that. They, they are a committed team. They're yep. trying hard, and Australia, I think, chanced their arm a little bit to force the scoreboard along. They got 133, uh, 131 runs out of those seven wickets. 318 is a good number batting first at the MCG. I think you could visually see that, and then you can back that up through the uh, through the years where that pitch has been restored. Pakistan uh, won the middle session. There's some stoic batting, one for 68, and then they hit the accelerator straight after T. Uh, but that did open the way, and once Shafiq fell, Pat Cummins shaped the day. Those those five wickets in the final session gives Australia such a commanding position. So, yeah, what are they? 124 runs in front. There's four wickets in hand. This is a long Pakistan tail. So the advantage is with Australia. So, Jared, if Pat Cummins wasn't playing, could have Australia been in a little bit of trouble at stumps or was it a collective effort from the bowlers? Uh, it required Cummins to... Um, to come up with two brilliant moments. And that, yeah. I, I am struck by this. I, I love, I think we've denied ourselves for generation the, the capacity of the fast bowling captain. We, we've been wedded to the idea that batting captains shape the test match across a day's play. Um, but a fast bowling captain can do it across two overs. And that's what he did is the court and bold is spectacular. As good a reflex court and bold as you would see, hands were neither up nor down. He was sort of contorted and twisted and Shafiq was so well set. So that was a brilliant catch. And then the ball to get Baba uh, is that's as good as you, you can bowl. Top of off, that's the, it's the cliche for a reason. And that was the off bail. So through the gate of one of the great batters of the world, and to flip the off bail, utterly brilliant. And he followed that up with uh, with the wicket of Salman a little later on. So th- this Australian attack, we were talking about it actually uh, off air, Barat and I, is th- there's one of them that they very rarely take six or seven, or any individual, that they, yep. they get into the act together. But that the flow of things required one of them to to disrupt Pakistan, and that was Cummins. I feel like that's been Cummins since he was captain. I could think of half a dozen moments in a day's play where he's been able to do that. So, yeah, the day belongs to him, and I do think that's part of what makes him such a fine leader. So, Jared, the delivery that he got Babro's arm out with was the first wicket either bold or LBW in the match. So has the bounce on the wicket been a bit of a surprise to everyone there at the MCG? Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting pitch that we'll probably wait to the end of the test match to fully assess. So 
um, and Whitey's seen a lot of Shield cricket at the MCG. Uh, the, the history obviously date, takes us back to 2017 and 18, where you really needed dynamite for that pitch. So they've done a brilliant <laughs> job to restore competitive cricket to it, and they've tilted it heavily in the bowlers' favour to do so. They've done it largely with grass. So Matt Page has experimented here or refined his technique here for the first time in a test match. It's uh, less grass. It was much browner than than green and you could see little bits of the, the clay surface underneath which we hadn't been able to see at test matches before he felt that he would be able to get the seam and the bounce out of this pitch without needing as much grass as previously and I think that's been validated so far uh, it is hard but it is um, there are variations in the bounce there were balls this morning that weren't carrying through to Rizwan the Pakistan keeper and then there were balls that were absolutely flying through head high and it moves both ways so Chris Rogers talks about the, the pitch that offers all four, which is the batting nightmare. So runs have been at an absolute premium, and I think that's there on the scorecard. There's um, Labashain 63 and Shafiq 62, and there's only three half centuries that have been scored. So there are changing characteristics of the MCG pitch. I think this is different to any that we've seen across the past four years, but it is still extremely difficult to... Um, amass big scores on. Yeah, I'm full of admiration for Matt Page, and I've got to know Matt really well over the last few years. And what I love, Jared, is that he's really honest with himself. Um, and if he feels like a pitch is going one what far too far one way, he can bring it back. And I think he realised that it was probably too bowler friendly over the last couple of years. It was too hard to bat, and certainly in the two Sheffield Shield games. And he he did say to me, he said, "I've just got to." I've got to bring it back a little bit more towards the batting, not the whole way, but a little bit more. And that's what we've seen here. And I, I think it's a good pitch because it's, it, there is something there for everybody. And, and that's all you want. You want it to be a contest, but you still want to be able to see batsmen be able to score, uh, particularly in front of the wicket. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's a good competitive pitch for the time being. And we, we'll know as I want to hold judgment on it. Um, yep. you, you want pitches that, give batters the capacity to make centuries. And I don't yep. feel like through the first two days, no batter has looked like he's going to make a century on this pitch. So um, you, 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 you can be really finicky and ask for a lot. And, and I suspect that's what Matt's thinking about. But we don't know how it will play days three and four. Um, there, were, there were moments in that middle session where things really had settled and the sun was beating down and it looked like a good time to bat. And I think it was fine bowling rather than the pitch that disrupted things from there. Um, I'm so curious to see what happens three and four. Damian Fleming felt like there were there were cracks underneath, which we haven't seen cracks on an MCG pitch for years. So we'll get the chance to go out and have a look in the morning and and uh, satisfy ourselves as to what's going on. So, yeah, excellent competitive cricket, still tilted towards the bowlers. Let's see what happens next. So, Jared, how's the morale of the Pakistan cricketers heading back to the hotel now? They had two and a half really good sessions. They took seven wickets this morning, were one for 124, and all of a sudden in half a session, the game has completely changed. Yeah, I think they're committed and enthusiastic and probably aware that they're overmatched. I think there'll be, there'll be some... Yesterday's lament was the two drop catches. They caught brilliantly today with the seven that they took. So kudos there. Their bowling was um, still erratic, way too many wides and buys, but there'll be shots that they will regret. So the captain, um, and you can you live by the sword, die by the sword. He came at Nathan Lyons straight after tea 
he took him down the ground twice for a six and a four. And the next time he did it, he hit a ball straight up in the air. He just wasn't there for it. He was trying to do too much. That's a bad dismissal. So you have to, he has to marry that up with how he wants to play his cricket. So he's talking about baseball and trying to encourage the team. I don't think anyone else is with him on that. Rizwan plays naturally, but the uh, I don't feel like the rest of them are, are queuing up to do that. And in Australian conditions against this attack, I'm not sure how practical it is anyway. So Masood has to have a, a think about whether he frankly threw his wicket away. Baba got beaten by a brilliant ball, but that's a little bit unflattering for one of the great batters of the world to be bowled back through the gate. And Shaquille, that's, that's a mo- he's early in his test career, but that's a moment of misjudgment. He thought he could leave Hazelwood and then realised too late that it was coming back to the top of off as well. So I don't think he'll get bowled terribly often in his career like that. But so each of them's got a, a little bit of lament. Um, they're behind in the game, but Rizwan is there. I feel like Rizwan is, he's just like Rishabh Pant. So um, 80 minutes of him tomorrow and who knows where Pakistan could be. So I, I like the fact that they do, they seem to play quite well out of each break, which means they respond to instruction and direction and, um, and they're playing for each other, but they are just a little... They don't have the, the nuanced edge to their test cricket at the moment, um, and that, that comes with experience and enough world-class players. Jared, thank you very much. 9 o'clock tomorrow morning on SEN. We'll catch you then. Terrific. Look forward to it. Thanks, Jared. Jared Waitley joining us there from the MCG. So at Stumps on day two, Pakistan 6 for 194 Still 124 runs behind Australia's first innings. Pat Cummins, the star for the Australians, with three for 37. We're off to a break. Josh Inglis, the Perth Scorchers star, the World Cup star. He'll join us next on SEM. Sports Day for Kia. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And for McDonald's, crispy, crunchy golden onion rings are back at Macca's. And they come with tangy barbecue sauce. This is Sports Day. Yes, it is Sports Day. Thanks to Kia and also McDonald's, Adam White and Daniel Menzel with you on this Wednesday night. The Harcourt's open line, one 736 736 if you want to give us a call. And the temper text machine, 0433981116. Your thoughts on day two of the Boxing Day test or maybe the big bash from last night with two matches with uh, the Stars having their first win and the Scorchers continuing on their merry way. And we are lucky enough to be joined by one of the absolute stars of the BBL, Josh Inglis, who was at it again for Perth last night as the Scorchers got the job done in front of over 40,000 people. Josh, thanks very much for your time and joining us on SEN. All good. Thank you for having me. Firstly, what's it like playing in front of such a big crowd uh, at Optus Stadium, it was absolutely rollicking last night. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. Um, it sort of brought back a few memories of the of the Big Bash final last year. Um, obviously, um, a great crowd, and yeah, the noise was just electric. So it was uh, it was great to have so many home fans in supporting us yesterday. Do you feel it is a a significant advantage, and if so, can you put a, a number on, like a, an extra twenty runs or an extra couple of wickets? Because it does feel, watching it at least on television, that it, it it's an advantage for you guys. Yeah, I think uh, as well. It's just for for other teams traveling across to the west. Obviously, the, the flight time and 
and the travel involved as well. But um, yeah, definitely the the crowd gives us a boost. Um, I think more in the bowling innings when you when you sort of get on a roll and, and the crowd are clapping the bowler in from the top of the market. It's uh, it's pretty amazing to be out there and witness. So um, now we're we're very thankful for our fans. Josh, I want to ask you about the belief in the group. You just win games that you probably shouldn't from unlikely positions. How is it amongst the batting and the bowling group? Yeah, I think, there's, like you said, it's just that belief. Um, I think on any given day, someone usually stands up. And, um, yeah, we've got we've got such a close group and, and guys that have played a lot of cricket together. So, um, yeah, we, we just sort of have that belief within the group that someone will stand up and, and we will get, get over the line no matter what the game situation is. No matter what the game situation is, well, you lost seven for five last night. Were you a little bit nervous when the boys uh, finished the innings that way and then obviously had to restrict the Renegades to just 149? Yeah, I didn't. I sort of obviously got out and then um, sort of got all my kid off and, and was watching inside the changing room and I didn't realise we actually lost seven for five. But um, <laughs> it, it can sort of happen like that. I mean, all those guys from probably Laurie downwards haven't had a hit yet this big bit big bash so um when you have a, a big partnership um that me and hearts did have and and the boys are coming out and going from ball one it can happen occasionally but um yeah i dare say it's something we won't we won't really want to be replicating um going forward but um as we were talking about that belief earlier um we would have liked to finish our batting innings better but um still with 160 on the board we always thought we had enough to, to get over the line so last night you got 64 yourself off 44 balls, and it, it looked like you were trying to be particular, particularly aggressive to Adam Zampa down the ground. Do, do you go in with any sort of preset um, plan of how you want to play particular bowlers and where you want to take them to, or is it just are you playing more on instinct in a, in a T20 game? I think a bit of both. Um, I think with, with Zamps, I'm obviously... I've kept a lot to him over the last couple of years, so I've, I've seen a lot of his bowling. Um, but it was more just to do with how I felt in-game yesterday. I thought their, bowl, their quicks bowled really well, actually, and and um, it wasn't the most straightforward wicket, so I felt that the spin was probably the easiest to attack. Um, and obviously with short, straight boundaries, um, that was probably my match-up that I felt I could utilise. And then uh, looking at, sorry, Dan, looking at you, your situation, you were just talking before about having spent so much time with Adam Zampa in the Australian setup. Do you think you've come back to the Big Bash this year a better player for the experience that you had in the World Cup, albeit a 50 over World Cup, and just that time around the Australian team? Um, maybe, yeah. I think it's more of a confidence thing. I think, um, I don't know if I'm a better player, but I think when you find yourself in situations where you are under pressure, um, you probably don't feel it as much and you probably, um, you just take that extra couple of balls to sort of work out what's happening and and you don't panic as quickly, I think. And um, I certainly felt like last night, I, was, I mean, I was probably five off 10 and I was run a ball 15 maybe. So um, yeah, I just, I sort of bided my time. We obviously had to build that partnership, and then and, and when the matchup came my way, um, yeah, I just thought I'd try to take them on. 
Josh, I want to ask you about your confidence from your experience in India, playing in the World Cup and then scoring 110 in the T20 against India over there. It must have given you so much confidence to bring back to the BBL, but also to know that you can perform at the highest level. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I didn't set the world light by any means um, during the World Cup. I was probably a bit disappointed with with my output of runs. Um, I definitely could have contributed more with some bigger scores. And um, But yeah, that, that 100 in the T20 um, was really nice. Um, I've, I've played a lot more T20 cricket than one-day cricket, really. So I probably understand my game a bit more in that format. Um, but yeah, it's definitely nice to come back um, to the big bash with with that hundred under my belt, and so just on that, Whitey mentioned the crowd over in Perth being an advantage. How about the crowd at the World Cup final in India? What sort of experience was that? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. It was uh, it was unbelievable. It was sort of it went two ways. It was either ridiculously loud, and then it went very quiet when um, <laughs> when we were doing well. So. That was nice to to keep them quiet for a while, but um, yeah, it was amazing to see so many people in one in one stadium, and obviously, um, doing it in India as well was very special. So coming back now, I know there was a little bit of a gap um, before you got back into your domestic duties, but are you exhausted with what you've gone through, or are you relatively fresh? Because under normal circumstances, you would have played five or six Shield games by this point. Yeah, um, it's more, no, I think it's more mental. Like, we obviously played a lot of cricket um, over there and we obviously had South Africa before India. Um, so there was a lot of cricket and a lot of time away from home. But um, I think with the Big Bash this year being only 10 games, we've had we've had some nice gaps between games um, just to freshen up, um, sort of live like a normal person for a bit, catch up with mates have some family time at Christmas and um, that's really nice. So um, but those sort of things just freshen you up nicely and, um, yeah, keep you going. They certainly do. So the Scorchers have won five titles in the 12 Big Bash seasons, which is rather incredible. The success that you've had, what, what do you put that down to? Is it as simple as you said, the belief? Is it the talent that you guys have? Is it the culture that you've got instilled over there? What, what, is there a couple of things that you can put your finger on? I think it's everything that you've mentioned. Um, I think just we've got a, obviously a very stable group um, throughout both the WA program and the Scorchers, yeah. um, and that definitely helps. We're, we're a close group. Um, we all know each other very well. We all know our roles very well. Um, and then I think the past history, and, and we, we know how to win games, and we know when we are under the pump, we feel like we're going to get over the line regardless. So... Um, it gives you a lot of confidence going into games and, and when you are under pressure, um, you feel like you can stand up. I've got two quick ones for you, Josh, before we let you go. Firstly, on Lance Morris, who he's he still hasn't been unleashed yet for, for Australia, but even the way he bowled last night, he, he's, he might be fresh, but he's still bowling pretty quick. He is, yeah, he is. He's very exciting, Lance, and um, I'm really excited to see what he can sort of come come up with in the next few years I think um, yeah he's, he's tailor made for international cricket and um, I can't wait to see him hopefully stick that baggy green on it at some point this summer um, he, he hasn't come off a lot of cricket either so um, to see what he's doing already um, at the start of this big bash is pretty exciting 
And then the other one was Aaron Hardy, who kind of goes under the radar a little bit because you guys have got so many good all-rounders. But not only with what he's doing with the, particularly the bat, but also the ball, but then to take on the captaincy last night with the injury to Ashton Turner. It certainly, he was tested last night, but he did an amazing job. Yeah, he did. He's uh, He's got a calm head on his shoulders. Um, captaincy is not something new to him. I think he's done a, a lot of it um, underage and then like second eleven cricket. Um, so, yeah, he's he's tailor-made for the role. Um, he communicates very well. And, and as you said last night, when we were under pressure, um, yeah, I think his messaging was really good towards the bowlers and, and, and he stayed very calm. Well, congratulations on the win. Congratulations. It's the first time we've spoken to you since you won that uh, World Cup as part of uh, the Australian team. Good luck for the rest of the tournament. And, yep, have a good night. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. And Josh, Thanks, Josh. Inglis uh, joining us there. Who He said he didn't have a great World Cup with the bat, but I still believe that his innings in the semi-final against South Africa when things were looking a bit um, dicey, uh, the way that he was able to navigate through a really tough phase of that match was one of the key reasons why Australia won that semi-final and ultimately went on, went on to, to win the World Cup. Yeah, I think he's a little bit harsh on himself. I'm not sure he played in a loss while he was over there in India in the World Cup when he came into the side. So he he still had a very good World Cup and was a, a contributor to them winning the World Cup. The other one I took out of that, Whitey, was when we asked him about the Scorchers and why are they so good? Why have they been so successful? They've won five titles in the 12 seasons. The point he made, which hit home a little bit, was the stability that they have. Yep. They have the same lineup effectively that rolls out each year. If I think about the Sydney Sixers, it's very similar. Whereas yep. a lot of the other teams, yes, you still need imports and talent to come in, but they chop and change a lot. Whereas the Scorchers, they have now got to a stage, and same with the Sixers, where they know how each other play. They know who they can rely on, and, and that belief is certainly there. I think it helps because they are a one-team state. Yes. So I think it's easier for the, it's much easier for them to have a settled lineup. They really do um, not so much rely, but they bank on their their homegrown talent. They give them a lot of opportunities. Even if you look at the way that they select their overseas players, they don't necessarily go for the headline acts. They go yes. for the role players because they've got so many headline acts themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I feel that as a result of that, they can build a culture from the start of the summer when you're playing you know, the 50 over Marsh Cup cricket through Shield cricket all the way through the BBL because they have got continuity through the, the different formats of the game, not just through a 10 or 11 game tournament like the BBL. Whereas if you look at, say, the Melbourne Stars, uh, the other night when Glenn Maxwell didn't play because he was injured, there was only two Victorians in that 11 for the Melbourne Stars. The Melbourne Renegades have got a few more, but even the Melbourne Renegades don't have a strong representation of Victorian players. So the culture of Victoria trying to to grow through Chris Rogers in the 50-over format where they're going really, really well into the Shield where they're going okay, they've made the the two finals, that then just evaporates for the two months of the BBL because it's a different culture, whereas the Strikers, to a lesser extent the Heat, but certainly the Scorchers uh, can have that, and obviously the Hurricanes as well, but the Scorchers seem to be a much more homegrown 
homegrown mix of players. Does that make sense? It does. It definitely makes sense. And your point around the continuity there is spot on. And I'm also glad you asked him about Aaron Hardy. Currently the leading run scorer in the Big Bash is on top of his game at the moment and looks like he could play at any level the way he's going. So they are in a beautiful position, the Perth Scorchers, to go for another title. Their sixth title would be in 13 seasons. They're currently three wins from their four games. One game was no results, so they still haven't lost yet this season. <laughs> it is amazing. Now, quick news headlines before the break, uh, brought to you by Spirit of Tasmania, stretch outing freedom on board Spirit of Tasmania. Now, we use this opportunity to give a Sydney to Hobart race update. Hopefully we go okay with the pronunciations there. 11 yachts retired today due to the difficult conditions Wow, that would be sea. scary. No, I'm not going there. Anywhere near 11 there. yachts, that would be surely a couple of people are going overboard. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not. <laughs> um, Andu, Comanche and Law Connect continue to duel for supremacy way out in front of the rest with a lead of over 100 nautical miles on the next group of vessels coming down the coast. So they are the two in front, Andu, Comanche and also Law, uh, Law Connect. That's Three. a big lead. It is. It's 100 nautical miles. You're sounding like you know a fair bit about this. Uh, Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Free from luggage limits, uh, you can pack more into your adventure with the spirit of Tasmania. We're going to take a break and come back with the APCO Hot Topic, which is the Moses Enriquez catch or non-catch. We'll do that next. This is Sports Day. Rogers, oh, top of the bat, top of the bat. Oh, oh Enriquez has got it. He might have hurt himself in the process, but where Silk couldn't, the skipper can. Jimmy Smith's call of the controversial catch from last night's BBL game between the Sixers and the Stars. That was Moses Enriquez, and it was given out. The catch to Smith dismiss Marcus Stoinis. Uh, with the decision contradicting the Mitchell Stark catch at Lords from earlier in the year. Uh, it is the hot topic for APCO. Skip the queue with the APCO app. Dan, you've seen the catch. I think it was actually Tom Rogers who hit the ball down the ground and yes. Enriquez taking the catch. What did you think? Out or not out? It is not out, in my opinion. The ground aided the catch, which means that effectively it helped him catch the ball. Now, We do compare incidents across sports and in the NFL, for example, they would say that this is not a catch as the ground has clearly aided the ball and the catch. So I don't believe it was a catch. They were zero for 28 and in the end it didn't cost them the game. But uh, an interesting decision by the third umpire to say there wasn't conclusive evidence. Yes. So Hilton Cartwright from the Stars will join us uh, in about 15 minutes time for the audience that will still be with us. So we'll be able to ask Hilton at that moment in time. I'm I'm pretty strong on this that that was unacceptable to be given out last night. Um, I, I'm I just don't understand how that could possibly be given out based on the rules the way they are. Now, if you want to have the argument that that was a clean catch, he controlled it, it should be given out. That's a totally different argument because that's not what the rules of cricket are. The rules it's of a- cricket are if you take a catch and you're you haven't completed the movement of taking the catch and you're your body hits the ground and you put the ball on the ground to be able to help um, cushion your your fall, 
then you that is not out because the ball has hit the ground. Because what happens is if you try and catch the ball correctly and you turn your hand around so that the I guess the the top part of your hand is on the ground, so the ball is is not touching the ground, there is a chance that it will bobble out in that situation. Um, so it was what was a fantastic catch from Enriquez is not a dismissal because he used the ground to aid his fall. And you can't do that. And for the umpire to say that there was no conclusive evidence to suggest that he, she could overturn that decision yep. is totally farcical. Yeah, it is. And you mentioned the Mitchell Stark incident in the Ashes, which was given not out, as it, he was deemed to have slid the ball across the turf, giving uh, Ben Duck, Duckett a reprieve. So it's the same thing. So one can't be right and one wrong when that's the rules. And... Look, it hasn't been a great tournament for the umpires. The, the Melbourne Stars have been involved in a couple of incidents in their past couple of games. The Sam Harper stumping by yes. Cam Bancroft, yeah. was yeah. that was not sent upstairs and was given out by by Greg Davidson at square leg. And, look, when they showed replays, uh, Brad Haddon called it at the time and said it was not out, and I agree with him. And how that was not sent upstairs was remarkable. So it's, yeah, yeah a couple of interesting decisions that – in this game, it didn't hurt the Stars, fortunately, but, um, yeah, not great tournaments so far for the umpires. No, and the difference was, and I know there is a difference between the way the BBL has their rules and the ICC, the umpire had to have conclusive evidence to overturn that catch. The conclusive evidence was there. It was just yeah, it, it, was. it was just decided that it would be ignored. Okay, can he, he can hear the music, so we're off to a break now to our audience on 11.16 in Melbourne, 6.29 in Tassie, 6.29 in SA, and also 11.70 in New South Wales. You're off to the Big Bash. It's the heat and the thunder, heat winning the toss and batting for everybody else. Jump on the app and listen to Hilton Cartwright. He'll join us after the break. It's SEM. Sports Day for Kia, the all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And for McDonald's, crispy, crunchy golden onion rings are back at Macca's and they come with tangy barbecue sauce. This is Sports Day. It's not just barbecue sauce, it's tangy barbecue sauce, which is the key when it comes to all of that with the chicken Big Mac back at Macca's. Sports Day is thanks to Nutrient Ag Solutions going further. For Australian farmers, Adam White and Daniel Menzel with you on this Wednesday night. If you've uh, just jumped in the car or just turned on the app and wanted to know the cricket score, if you haven't been following it through the day, at Stumps, Pakistan, 6 for 194 in its first innings, still 124 runs behind Australia's first innings. Pat Cummins, the star for Australia today, 3 for 37. Pakistan at 1.1 for 124 before losing 4 for 27 and then scrounging their way to that 194 by Stumps. Uh, play to get underway at 10 o'clock Melbourne time tomorrow, and you'll have all the action on SEN from 9 o'clock. But time now, Daniel Menzel, to talk cricket with the Melbourne Stars. I'll say star from last night, Hilton Cartwright, because he got them over the line. He didn't even know how many he needed to get in the last over, but he still got them. Hilton joins us on SEN. Hilton, thanks for your time. Evening, guys. How you going? How many did you think you needed in the last over? Oh, I've had a few people ask me this, and <laughs> I don't know what was going on in my brain at the time, but I knew it was four to win. But for some reason, I, I saw they made 155, and we still needed one more. Um, and then I looked up at the scoreboard and realised that we got the four that we needed, and that's when I celebrated with um, Merle's at the other end. Yeah, I just <laughs> had a complete brain fart. 
<laughs> so four for 66 when you went out into the middle. And, and obviously the stars are being ha- having a bit of a, a rough time of it. To make 47 not out and to, to see your team over the line, what, what did that mean to you and, and to the team? I think it meant more, a lot more to the team, and that was my um, my real goal going out there to bat with um, Big Bo Webster was to be the two guys to stand up, and um, Bo's been batting really nicely the whole summer, and for him to also get a bit of reward out there as well, I think that was crucial to to halt the the flow and the momentum that the Sixers had, um, and for us to yeah stamp our foot down and get a nice partnership together, which I mentioned to a few people earlier in the week that the way that we're going to buck these collapses is to create some partnerships with different players and we were able to do that, halt the stem the the rate of their wickets and turn the tide in our favour and um, yeah, get over the line because yeah, the boys, we desperately needed it in the context of our season. Yeah, you certainly did, Hilton. I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned with batting with Bo, the reliance on Maxwell and Stoinis, particularly in the past must be nice for yourself to be out there for Bo Webster. He's also contributing with the ball as well as the bat. But then your Pakistani bowlers in Sam Amir and Harris Ralph last night both took three wickets. For more guys, more contributors in the team, to be able to have a real impact for the Stars is really important moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I think you see the successful teams. Um, I mean, obviously, James Vint bat- batted beautifully for the Sixers last night. But a lot of the time, you'll see... One guy will be a standout player, but you'll have the successful teams will have a lot of players contributing throughout the whole list. Obviously, the Scorchers have had a lot of success and so have the Sixers, and they've got guys between 1 and 11 who will either contribute with the ball or contribute with the bat. You see them dig themselves out of trouble, and even last night, the Scorchers seemed to have their backs pinned up against the wall, and their whole bowling attack seemed to contribute towards defending that total. So I think that's a really crucial part in becoming a successful side and winning a lot of games of cricket is to have guys throughout your list over the course of a game to be um, tough to be able to pick a a man of the match or a a player of your team and I think uh, we did that really nicely to have a lot of contributions through the list. Yeah, you certainly did last night. Now I want to ask you, our hot topic tonight was the Moises on Reek's catch. Did you see it and how did you react to it? (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, I was in the I was in the changes. I like to sit in the changes a bit before I bat. Um, and when I I just saw the catch and kind of didn't think anything of it. And then the replay came up when Tom Rogers was walking off, and I sort of thought like I wouldn't want to be in the third umpire's in the third umpire seat because that's a real hot topic in cricket at the moment. Um, I mean, she she made the decision on, on what she saw. But I think some cricketers will see that as not out with the whole Mitchell Stark incident in the Ashes. Um, Jameson in, in New Zealand did it a couple of years ago. But I think if you're a cricketer, you see that as out because, I mean, he's caught the ball. You don't even think twice about that sort of stuff. But purely because it's got a lot of attraction in recent times around the control of your body and everything, I don't envy um, Polak being, being in her position and having to make that decision because... She's, whether she called it out or not out, she's going to have scrutiny either way. Yeah, it's it's a good point you make. There's been a couple of incidents in your last couple of games and I wanted to ask you who was more frustrated on replay. Was it Rogers with last night or potentially Sam Harper when he found out the other night that it wasn't taken upstairs? He was given out stumped and it looked like maybe he had made his crease. Oh, gee, that's a tough one because 
at the time. It's actually quite funny because I was in the change room when Hearts came in, when Hearts came in, and he was actually so upset at himself because he thought he grounded his bat outside of the crease oh, no. line. Oh, no. So he was disappointed himself. He thought he'd made this huge blunder, and then he found out about two minutes later that he actually had grounded his bat. And I think the combination of those things made him so frustrated, both at himself and at the situation, he didn't really know what to be frustrated anymore and how he had a bit of a laugh. <laughs> like, how's cricket, how does cricket end up like this? So I think, I thought that was really good by half to see the, um, the light heart in that situation because sometimes when you're on a losing streak, you can start emphasising and, and playing the victim role. But I thought we did really well last night and I thought Digger held himself really well afterwards and he, he didn't uh, put that onto the rest of the team and he walked off. He's obviously disappointed with it being given out but he walked out back out into the dugout almost immediately and started supporting his teammates, which, which I think if things aren't going your way, it's a very hard thing to do. Um, and he showed a lot of courage and leadership to go out there and support everyone else to, to not drag everyone down with him. Hilton, one from left field a little bit. We were just speaking to one of your Western Australian teammates, Josh Inglis, uh, earlier in the show, and we were talking about the culture of not only the Perth Scorchers, but WA cricket, which you're obviously uh, such an integral part of. When with the stars, when you are only together for six to eight weeks, how do you develop a culture there? You've been there a few years think, now. Yeah, yeah, I think culture is a very difficult thing. I'd always say borderline impossible to um, create as much as you represent WA. I mean, I'm there for nine and a half months a year, so I, I don't think you can compare them in that sense. But I think what, especially what Peter Moores has done this year, he's created a. Um, I guess, an allocation of leadership and what guys are trying to do for each other. And I think that's really important. It might not be seen as, as culture in the context of creating um, a certain environment, but I think the way that Pete's gone about it in um, making guys be accountable, making guys understand their roles, understanding each other's um, strengths and weaknesses and being present when we're at cricket and trying to make each other better as quickly as possible think he's done a really good job in in that space and I mean some guys might call that culture and I think that's just the way of of Pete's coaching technique and I think it's been really effective the guys have gelled really nicely um so yeah like like I said you can argue that it's a bit of culture but I think what he's brought to the team is just a bit of um bit of atmos really bit of bit of team atmosphere and creating a, a a way of playing for each other and um, playing for, for the whole team rather than guys going out there individually, as I guess it has been seen in the past and trying to be the one-man show. But I think he's created a nice environment around guys are playing for each other and, and trying to buck that trend of these losing streaks and um, get on the right side of those results. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. So do you see it is an advantage for Perth that they have so many WA players in that team? So as you said, you're part of WA for eight and a half, nine months a year that that can carry on through the Scorchers, whereas you, you've got some really good players that are playing really well for their respective states. You were talking before about Bo Webster. He's having a, a career season. You've been playing well for WA, and then you've got guys from all over the place, New South Wales, everywhere. They all play for the Stars. It, it, is that a disadvantage, or it's just it's just different? I think it's just different, Mark. I mean, you can, you can speak about it to the cows come on, I reckon. You can say it's an advantage to have a similar list to what you have with the Scorchers and what you have with Western Australia. But I think each different state presents their different challenges. They're obviously very isolated where they are and 
they keep a very consistent list and they've had some very consistent results. I mean, you can argue that it is very beneficial, but I think a lot of work goes on behind closed doors, even behind what the players see to bring the best out in those players. And I think people who are involved in that have got to due a lot of credit. I mean, you see the Sydney Sixers, they have a, a very different list. They've obviously got Cricket New South Wales and their squad almost gets split amongst Sydney Thunder and Sydney Sixers and they've had similar success, not so much in the trophy cabinet, but they're making a lot of finals and grand finals. So I think you can you can um, slice the pie a few different ways and I reckon um, they're doing a very similar thing. So, I mean, I think a lot of credit's more so got to go to the coaching staff and the way that things are run and um, recruitment and things like that because that's how you evolve with the game and, and keep up on, on top of the ladders and um, keep producing winning results. Now, Hilton, a quick turnaround. You take on Hobart at Blundstone Arena tomorrow night. With a win there, with the way the season has gone, it will actually catapult you into the top four, which is rather remarkable. <laughs> Three losses to start the season. So it must feel like after the win last night, you're just starting to really get things going and potentially be in the top four by the end of tomorrow night. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and start thinking, you know, if we win, we end up in certain positions. But um, there's definitely goals of ours with this road trip to keep seeing the light, keep seeing the positive attitude that we're trying to bring to each game and trust that um, those results are going to eventuate. I think you can get very, I know I certainly do, you can get caught up in, worrying about what's going to happen in the future if we win here, if we lose there. I think we're just really focused on um, keeping things in our control over the next 24 hours. And if we do our our skills right, if we do the basics really well, we'll have a positive result. And if we end up being fourth by the end of tomorrow evening, that's great. But if we don't, then we know we'll have to work on it. I think that's a really clear mindset that um, the whole squad's got. Going down to play at uh, at Bell Reeve or Blundstone Arena, there's... It's a good batting pitch most of the time, at least for uh, for T Twenty cricket, not so much for for Shield cricket. Does that does that change the way you approach a game, knowing that you've you've got a chance to as a batter to to really have a, a big day, or is each game approached the same way tactically? For me personally, I, I approach each game almost identically. I mean, obviously, if you know you're coming up on a on a pitch that's renowned, a one thirty one forty winning score, you're going to adapt accordingly. And I think yep. I've played games in, in Blunderston Arena where we've defended 140 and we've also chased down 190. So I think with that scope of things, you've always got to go in with an open mindset that it could be either one of those wickets. Um, but like you say, majority of the time it's a it's a 180 plus wicket, so you've got to be you've got to have your intent to score quite early and and start the conditions really quickly because if you take two to three overs to do that, that can literally be the the difference in the game, the difference in chasing. 180 as opposed to setting 160. So I think the the adaptation and the readjustment of knowing whether it's a good cricket wicket or not can determine whether you have a positive result or not tomorrow night. Now, Hilton, before we let you go, watching the Pakistan series right now must bring back fond memories of when you wore the baggy green back in 2017 on against the Pakistan. Yeah, it's a bit of a throwback. I actually thought about that. <laughs> Um, the other day, thinking about because like, we were obviously in Sydney um, the other day, and I was driving past the SCG thinking about. It. I was like, "Gee, that's a bit of a throwback for me." It does bring back some some fond memories. Bring that brings back a few dark times in between now and then as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's obviously every time I do walk out into the SCG, it brings back those memories of um, oh yeah, obviously receiving my bag of green and and batting for Australia. Um, 
but I think my game's in a much different place now, so it's hard to hard to compare where I'm at now in in relation to that period of my life. But it certainly does bring back those positive vibes. Hilton, it's always great to talk cricket with you. You always give some really great insights into what it what it's like to be a professional cricketer. We appreciate your time tonight, and uh, good luck when you tackle Hobart. And as uh, Dan said, who knows, you might be in the in the four this time tomorrow night. Yeah, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Great Hilton there, Cartwright uh, joining us there, Melbourne star batsman who did get that 47 off 30 balls last night, unbeaten 47 to get the stars over the line. And sometimes, Dan, in a, in a close competition, uh, as the as the BBL is, there's not much between top and bottom. A game like that where it looked like it was slipping away and looked like that losing momentum was going to continue, but just finding a way to get over the line can really spark a season. It just happens time and time again, not just for the stars, but for anybody in that situation. One win can sometimes be just all they need. Particularly in the Big Bash. We saw it last year with the Brisbane Heat come from nowhere and yep, absolutely. they just Great get a run in the final. So for the Stars, with the way the season has gone, the Heat, the Scorchers and the Sixers have a little break in front of everyone else. But fourth position right now is very much up for grabs uh, and we're three, four games in for most sides. So the Stars win tomorrow night, they're into fourth position, which we wouldn't have thought that only 24 hours ago. I love chatting to Hilton. He's such a great, um, has such a great cricket brain and he always gives uh, really interesting answers to the questions we throw at him. And as you said, a lot of people forget that he did play Test cricket yeah. for Australia. He was actually selected as an all-rounder, yep. even though he wasn't really bowling for WA at the time, uh, but hits the ball so hard. And and I think you know, if he hadn't played Test cricket when he did, I think he would have played more Test cricket two or three years later, if that makes sense. I just don't think he was picked necessarily at the right time. He's had a couple of really big years in the Sheffield Shield for WA where it was like, oh, yeah, but we, he's had a go. We're going to go another way. Whereas if they just held back a little bit, I think he would have had a more sustainable career potentially. There's quite a few that fall into that bracket around that time that got those sort of three, four, five test matches. Nick Maddinson's one of those. Yes. Uh, Moses Enriquez is another one where they just couldn't quite settle in that number six position to make it their own. Yeah, it's obviously very challenging to get into the Australian eleven. Any any player that gets a baggy green is an incredible effort. And look, he's born in Zimbabwe. So if he hadn't yes. played for Zimbabwe, he would have played yes. a lot more matches for his country. But uh, nah, Hilton, he's putting together a nice season in the Big Bash and you mentioned for WA as well. So hopefully he can continue that form against the Hurricanes tomorrow night. He crushes the ball. It's so hard. Now, an Urban Surf weather report. Learn to surf this summer at Urban Surf Melbourne. Book now and score waves. The best surf conditions we're being told about surrounding Melbourne are Castle Cove and Princetown, which are experiencing fair to good conditions with waves ranging from three to five feet. So that's Castle Cove and also Princetown. Learn to surf this summer at Urban Surf Melbourne, book now and score waves where the waves are always absolutely perfect. Now, a Brandt Sports update. Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We talked about the BBL results from last night. So the Stars finally getting their first win of the season with a four-wicket victory and three balls remaining when Hilton Cartwright hit that four down the uh, four down to fine leg when he didn't know that it was the winning runs. <laughs> so the Stars got over the sixes. And then in Perth, the Renegades were in a really strong position uh, on the chase against the Scorchers, um, but they didn't win. Scorchers won 
uh, again with, uh, well, restricting the Renegades just eight for 149 from their 20 overs. And I don't think anyone has come up with this stat yet, but I'd like to know, has a team ever lost seven wickets for five runs but still won the game? That's never happened. I don't know that, but I'm telling you right now, that has never happened. Um, so in the cricket, the the test match, uh, Pakistan 6 for 194, still 124 runs behind Australia's first innings. That stumps on day two in the Boxing Day test. And I can tell you, looking at the current BBL game, which is underway at the moment, and Colin Munro has just gone out for a golden duck. And that is not good because he's one of the best players in the BBL. The Heat winning the toss and batting uh, one for one after five balls. So we'll keep you updated on that as we go along. Now, I want you to tell me about what's going on in the basketball because I know it's one of your uh, key sports. And we were talking about Josh Gideonly yesterday that he was out indefinitely. Didn't last very long. It didn't. When I checked my phone this morning and saw that Josh Giddy was on the court and playing for Oklahoma (laughs) City Thunder, that ankle must have made a miraculous recovery from what the reports were. So great news for Josh Giddy that he's back and it wasn't such a bad injury. Not great news for the Detroit Pistons, though. They've made NBA history. That became the league's first team to lose 27 straight games in a season. Falling to the Brooklyn Nets, 118 to 112. So the Nets beat the Pistons on Saturday in Brooklyn, handing them their 26 consecutive defeats. Same thing happened with the Cavaliers and the 76ers back in the early 2010s when they were really, really bad. Now, next up is the overall record of 28 straight losses, which was set by the Sixers from late 2014 and 15. Is that, is that when they were tanking to try and get all those draft That's picks? when it was yeah. trust the process. Yes, and, that's uh, right. that's when they got Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Mark L. Fultz in. But, uh, look, it looks like the record is going to be set because they take on the NBA-leading Boston Celtics on the road. Now, Whitey, the Celtics have played 14 games at home this year. Do you know how many losses they have from those 14 games? I don't think they've had one, have they? No, they have zero losses at home. They're 14-0 at home. Coming up against the Detroit Pistons, who have only won two games all season, this is the most certain thing that you will see this week. There is no possibility in the world that the Pistons will probably get within 40 points, let alone win the game. All right, so you've just made it pretty obvious now that the Pistons will win after that comment. There is no possibility (laughs) of that happening. All right. Um, we'll just go through the Premier League scores from overnight because there were some significant results. We were yes. talking about this only yesterday. There was one result in particular that um, was was quite remarkable, and that was Manchester United 3 defeating Aston Villa 2. So Villa going into that game were sitting in uh, third position on the table, and they led Manchester United 2-0 at half time. And I, I, I was convinced that the there's a chance that the, the manager was going to be sacked at half time, let <laughs> alone the end was. of the game. The, they the, all the, booed off. They, they, it was, and they've somehow Man United scored three in the second half, uh, including the winner after 82 minutes, and they've they won the game three two. It was amazing. I, I would love to ask the owner an honest question and say, hey, was there a possibility that at <laughs> halftime you were walking down to the rooms yep. or you were going to walk down to the rooms in 45 minutes and let everyone know that a decision's been made? They come back and win 3-2 against, as you mentioned, Aston Villa, who's been very good this season. The other result you didn't mention, Whitey, is that Liverpool have gone to the top of the Premier League table well, with a 2-0 win. 
away from home against Burnley. Look, Arsenal, they haven't played yet, so... There's a caveat there because Arsenal do take on West Ham at home Friday morning. But Liverpool are currently on top of the Premier League table with 42 points. Arsenal in second and Aston Villa still holding on to third position with your Tottenham in fourth spot. Yes, so the results from last night, Newcastle 1, Nottingham Forest 3. So that's a big win for Nottingham Forest uh, away. Bournemouth 3, Fulham nil. So Fulham were playing some great football only a couple of weeks ago, but they seem to have dropped away again. Sheffield United 2, Luton Town 3. So they were both in the relegation zone. So that's a big win for Luton Town. That'll get them out of the relegation zone, at least for now. As you mentioned, Burnley nil, Liverpool 2, Manchester United 3, Aston Villa 2. So there are three more games tomorrow morning, like really early in the morning. Brentford yeah. uh, at home to Wolves, Chelsea at home to Crystal Palace, and Everton uh, hosting Man City. So they're the three games tomorrow morning and then Friday morning, it's Brighton and Tottenham and Arsenal and West Ham. So it's hard to sort of go through the table and for it to all make sense because of where everyone's sitting at the moment with games played. Liverpool on top with 42 points from 19 games. As you said, Arsenal in second spot, 18 games for 40 points. Aston Villa, 19 played for 39 points. Then it's Tottenham uh, in fourth, Manchester City in fifth. But even if uh, City were to win tomorrow, they've still got two games on, on Liverpool. So they're, they're certainly you know, not far away at all. They're not far away at all, but their game tomorrow is against Everton, which is the game between the two sides that potentially are going to lose points. Now, Everton's yes. already lost 10 points this year, and Man City's sanction looks like it could be greater depending on when that is handed down. So, Everton, Man City tomorrow morning. Uh, watch this space on Man City, because again, I think right now you'd still pick them to win the title, but will they have all of their points come the end of the season? We don't know. We'll nominate uh, that Manchester United victory to come from 2-0 uh, down at, at home uh, to beat yeah. Aston Villa as our um, Cobram Estate uh, award today. Australia's most uh, awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. They're the good oil, Manchester United, because they were in trouble. And the man- the new owner was there, yeah. and one, one of the key other owners was there in the crowd as well. They were both there, so... Yeah, they're in all sorts of trouble. Um, we're going off to a break, and, and after the break, really interesting chat with Nick Hockley and Jared Waitley before play today at the MCG on SEN Test Cricket. Lots discussed. Uh, we'll do that next on Sports Day on this Wednesday night. Don't go anywhere.